0: Uh, Welcome, folks, diving into The Wreckage 7.2, Principles and Heuristics.
1: We will one day come back to all the debt crises, including apparently the United States.
0: Yes. (laughs) Um. I want, I'm, I'm sitting here as we, again, as we're always waiting for the other shoe to drop, and I'm thinking about the massive amounts of research and the massive amount of content that we put out on that series. And every time I read the news, I keep thinking to myself, all of that time, all that energy, all that analysis is going to be vindicated. We are going to be able to use that hopefully in a way that like we're looking at real time as um, uh, the I think the the self-imposed bomb that's just sitting on the U- like it's yeah. what's weird about
1: the U.S. is it's in, in a very real sense like we are North America, not just the United States, but North America is food and energy secure if it wants to be. It's not because it takes place in the international market. We would not have we wouldn't be able to maintain all of our advanced technological infrastructure because we need lithium and and
0: like sure. But they're yeah. opening a couple of mines in Canada and the United States. We're... Right.
1: I mean, there is clearly a big shift coming to repartially, because we all know from Aaron Benning of works it's not gonna come back the way it was. You're never gonna yeah. have you're never going to have Fordism again. Right. Um, but the the corporate industry, they want it to come back. The problem that we're seeing, you know, and uh, maybe this can take us into some of our positive heuristics, but the problem yeah. that we're seeing at our current instantiation of capital is that there is no incentive until things get really bad for anyone outside of the state to reinvest in productive capital, and we really see it not so much in the U.S. but in the U.K., mm, like, mm-hmm. like I was talking to uh, Stefan Buttram Lee or Stefan Buttram Lee, and um, he was talking about you know, like, why don't we ever talk about the historic mission of the bourgeoisie? And I said, like, like it's failed. But I started thinking about why it's failed and this. I was getting into, like, Christopher Lash and Michael Sandel and these, like, communicarian thinkers. And I'm like, mm. we've structuralized capital so much, right, in, uh, at the end of neoliberalism that it made it even look like we could s- switch on to something like techno-feudalism, which I, I've been on the uh, Eugenie um, mirazov kick for more uh for a while that that was never going to happen
0: yeah a big article in new left review that he yeah, did a few months ago
1: i'm now doing a series with the regrettable century where we go through that article and unpack it and oh my god it's like i'm packing a book because that big article has like in four paragraphs like i have to go over an yeah. entire historiography <laughs> of what feudalism is for this to make sense yeah but but to you know this this point about history is important. We we live now where the bourgeoisie is so structured and so hidden because my my friends, the of 500 is not the real bourgeoisie. That's the nouveau riche people who haven't figured out how to break up their assets, so you can't tell how much they have. <laughs> like the, these are the rentier capitalists who just got there. Mm-hmm. Like the old families from say. The Healy's to the Rockefellers to whatever, they still exist, but they're so diffuse in their investments and family holdings that you can't find them the way you can find the other things. But also, they've checked out. Yeah. They're not running the show anymore because it no longer matters if they invest into productive capital. Yeah. They can make it off of hedging with when debt is cheap uh, and we are under mmt conditions aka the the uh interest rate is close to zero what MMTers call natural mm. um which i think is uh, you, you want to talk about pure ideology but anyway <laughs> um then uh it's easy to leverage venture capital off debt and turn a profit that way that's that's entirely how we got captured by all these tech things mm. uh was that in government contracts The moment that those started to dry up, they started becoming less functional because they have to throw more more and more ads at us. But they'd already got us in with the functionality of seeming like a public service in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can and if you don't collect it that way, you can collect it off of land investments Mm -hmm. or whatever. There's no longer the same need to reinvest in productive capital. And that's because on real commodities, and I want to be very clear by what we mean by this physical commodities that are traded on the market that you can't just duplicate technologically easily like stuff that requires IP law to enforce. Right. Right. Where you don't need the state to come in and be your broker. Um, Those things are at very low profit margins and have been since the fucking sixties. Yep. And so while they're safe investments, like if you, and I, I wish Marxists would just talk about what people tell like old people to do with their 401k. Mm-hmm. If you need to be, if, if you need safe investments, now that your gearing starts pulling out, what do you start investing in? Uh physical commodities goal and real estate or, mm-hmm. um, real estate's always a safe bet. Cause mm-hmm. you can always fuck with that shit, except when there's some kind of debt bubble hiding in it. Yeah. But that's not common, like yeah, like that. And also, like,
0: if, as we as we saw over the last fifteen years, a that's not common, and B the the big players in that were made whole by and large, and it was you know the smallholders yeah. that that ended up taking the huge bath in that.
1: Yeah, QE was used to.
0: It use was the people to, who had no no means to like leverage their way out of the disaster and no means to get bailed out. Right. Um, homeowners.
1: Yeah, homeowners. Credit and, and, card and, debt holders. <laughs> uh and lastly pensioners because the one thing we can be the one thing we can feel bad about the baby boomers about uh um is that um a lot of them did get screwed in their pensions on that on that debt bomb Mm -hmm. the there might be a debt bomb like that in europe and australia and maybe canada Honestly, because they have a lot of variable interest mortgages, they don't have yeah. the same kind of mortgages we do.
0: Yeah. Um well, the UK they're... guilt market practically exploded due to trustonomics. What was that four or five months ago? Yeah, which uh, was
1: basically right-wing modern monetary theory is no longer possible in the UK, which to me means they are no longer really important to empire. Mm. That's what that in- that's what that indicates. Like yeah, they can't just print money anymore they can't uh corbinism uh you know i've gone on this uh would you to get it before but corbinism is also never viable because like it's pretending they could have the industrial base they had at the end of the empire right not when they're an island yeah um so, and
0: it pretended as though the, the Commonwealth could be a sufficient uh, backup for like the entire world market, which is yeah, or or the or like sufficient uh, or adequate to like an imperial economy like they had 100 years ago, which yeah, so, is yeah. So, as it, they wrote themselves out of like the very as the UK wrote itself uh, out of the very, very um, special arrangement it had with the European Union, I mean, I think that this is maybe getting towards. Some first principles of ours. Like I don't want to stop you because I want to continue in this, but I I'm looking at our document here and I have right up Let's top here to the,
1: the principle. Let's talk what, about
0: it. One of the things we have here is uh, power is diffuse slash molecular, but operates through its own lawful logic. I mean, you're really talking about we're talk we've been talking about um, actors. We've been talking about big capitalists, and we've also been talking about states. Uh, we've been talking about the ways in which power uh, is very seems to be very hidden in this society, but also power is like everywhere all at once. We live in a, in a society where the problem, because we talked about conspiracism last time, the problem isn't that the people at the top are ruling us um, so effectively that all of us have been made powerless by their machinations. The problem that we have instead is quite the opposite, is that there's nobody, it seems, on a high enough level of abstraction who's actually has their hand on the tiller. Um, The, the amount of information, the amount of movements of commodities, circulations of uh, goods, billions upon billions of transactions every single day, the complications of this system, like the, the, the vastness of this system is beyond the ken of any individual or small groups of individual. So what really we have is a coordination problem, on, on the, on the part of the ruling class. We have these sorts of uh, ossified structures in place that even they can't break themselves out of because if there was a, a a a late 19th early 20th century ruling class like say a rooseveltian ruling class i'm talking about teddy and mm-hmm. uh, franklin delano roosevelt a they wouldn't be able to do what you had been able to do 100 and 130 years ago because there aren't as we, you were talking about the prophets in order to create a new sort of class compact or Um, even take the to
1: buy off class consciousness by taking land which is like like interestingly even uh the the former marxist turned german historicist werner Sombart, uh not a settler colonial theorist by any means actually talked about one of the reasons why that uh the proletariat in america uh, reinvested into education, uh, homeowner homeownership, even in the early 20th century, before it was easy, um, was that it had hope through the acquisition of imperial imperial gains in land to to get out from under the system. Whereas what you saw in Germany at the turn of the century, and and uh, and in and in France, and a little bit less in England, although still pretty high, if you were stuck in. Ironically, the core Mm. uh, was investment was uh, investment in alcohol and (laughs) other (laughs) vices. um, Mm. And the reason why make perfect sense. There was no release valve coming for that. Right. Well, these periodizations of capital, I know people think that this is mostly academic, but Mm. when I'm explaining to you what's happening right now, it's not always obvious one thing that I like, I, be, I read a lot of communitarian literature in addition to hmm. left communists and communist literature, which I think people find strange. Uh, there are there are
0: communitarian for people. These
1: are the, the these are the people who believe that like social compacts and social coherence is inherent to self government. Hmm. That this is a cultural, political, and economic project altogether, um, and that even somewhat conservative social standards may be promoted if it coheres a community together so that they can act as a political and economic unity.
0: So it's now, like I, a Jeffersonian utilitarianism or
1: something. Or uh, like Confucian or whatever. Okay. Like there's there, you can actually justify this in a variety hmm. of of in fact they'll tell you like different cultures are going to be pulled together in different ways. My frustration with them is always they don't have Often, with the exception of people who came out of the Marxist school first, like Christopher Lash, who never called himself a communitarian, but many communitarians claim him, Mm. Um, uh, they don't have a political economic grounds, even though they do see politics and economics as wedded together, Mm. Um, and and also culture, they don't see them as separate, but they don't really have a strong.
0: They don't have a sense of the totality of those interacting with one another.
1: So I was reading Michael Sandel and this is to get to the point and it talks about early American republicanism versus 20th century Euro American liberalism. Mm. All right. They're both capitalist, They're both small D quasi democratic. Neither one of them are fully democratic. Mm-hmm. Uh, one believes in civic virtue going all the way back to Aristotle and the other is, um, Believes in a neutral administrative states in which rights are protected. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that's actually an apt description of, of what of of the political culture of the United States. If you were in um, the majority, and Sandel actually realizes that he talks about racism and sexism and stuff being a part of the problem of mm-hmm. early republicanism. He doesn't bracket that out. Um, what I find interesting is. The communitarians, because they're only concerned with culture and politics and they think economics is important, but it's kind of.
0: Subsidiary.
1: Are emergent.
0: Emergent. It's not.
1: Yeah. Um, They don't do what we what is obvious to us is like, well, let's map up this change on the map of the change of the structure of capitalism. So let's look at the 18th century entrepreneurial capital, expansive, uh, colonial, imperial then early 20th century state capital, as Bacarin called it, mm-hmm. uh, because it is clear that the entrepreneurial chaos is untenable. You have the beginnings of interventions into the state and particularly in after the Franco-Prussian war in Europe and between, say, the Civil War and World War I in America, you kind of have a stagnant but beginning to be built up state apparatus. Mm-hmm. In a in a idea of nationhood being really promoted with World War One, you have a massive bureaucratic uh, machine that emerges that even Marx could not have foreseen.
0: Yeah. Um, and, Just, it, uh, to, and this is this is comes from the ramifications of of total war, and of course, like the the movement from an inter imperial um, chaotic competition to like an inter uh, imperial um, I don't know fucking managed management.
1: Man, Yeah, managed competition in the beginning of managed capital, the structuralization of ownership, which begins really right before World War II. The, the, there's a reason why the managerial thesis and the PMC thesis, even though I have problems with both of them, emerged and make a certain amount of sense. And there's a reason why people get tied up in it today, even though I don't think it's the primary explanation. It is because the managers, the politicos, the professionals, etc., in the elite sense, and by that I mean in the top 20% of them, really do seem to be making most of the decisions, particularly when you look at the fact that the nouveau reach right now are all rentiers, all right? So they're from tech and, um, uh, and finance. Uh, the reason why we call them rentiers is because they require rents from either intellectual property rights, which require state intervention. Without state intervention, there's no commodity in intellectual property. We can reproduce mm. it infinitely,
0: yeah, with very right. little
1: effort, right? Yeah. Like, like I can burn a CD right and if you Um, look
0: at the actual apparatus of american empire so much of it is claims upon various different intellectual properties that are then imposed not just internally but of course externally as well and all the money that comes in and moves in this direction for those reasons despite production being elsewhere
1: so this this actually leads to i think logically what uh, what uh sandell was describing which is the idea of an administratively neutral state which also overlaps with the culture of narcissism Lash is describing. Now you take something like Endnotes, which describes this period as the end of the peasantry worldwide Mm. and the expansion of markets. And then you take something like Kowski's ultra imperialism, which wasn't true when he wrote it, but does seem to be true after World War II. Mm. Um, What do you have? And you have a way where, Oh, the production of rights, uh, the, the view of, Not the person as the worker or even the person as the consumer, but the person as a neutral participant Mm. um, of which your consumer choices define you, but of which you are still limited by your job. So it's kind of a double edged sword. Mm. Um, This makes sense, not just in neoliberalism, but in Fordism, Mm. uh, because. We're trying to incorporate more people into the structuralized capital. The corporations have their own logic, etc. This logic is laid down in law. You like you have to make profits for your corporations. Mm-hmm. You have to do these things. So it's not no longer can you even have valiant, sacrificial entrepreneurs who will take the hit temporarily to build it long term as a personal choice, which was always possible in what we might call classical capitalism. Mm-hmm. And that the gave period of the,
0: laissez-faire, yeah.
1: Right. That gave the that gave the illusion that the government wasn't involved. Now of mm. course the government was involved. It was stabilizing the currency, it was parsing out land.
0: It was breaking strikes. <laughs>
1: right. It was breaking strikes. It was doing all kinds of things. Uh but the illusion made sense, right? To get to through Fordism, that neutral administrative state makes sense that gets us through most of neoliberalism too, because while the big change between Fordism, and neoliberalism is that you start outsourcing parts of the government, but not reducing the government's involvement. Right. You're just not having them directly employ people. So it becomes less efficient. Yeah, And you start removing labor from the table and you do this through a complicated and accidental series of things. There's things involved in labor is being removed from the table that people don't even think about. like, the, like the old smoke-filled room caucuses them mm. versus the primary system mm,
0: mm-hmm. labor
1: had seats at the caucus table
0: yeah they it was were the...
1: removed from the primary table
0: in the in what... the in a in a, um, in a in a very american progressive fashion right mm-hmm. because this is also what happens in the united states with the breaking up of uh, the old tammany hall structures and the pay to play and all of the corruption that exists corruption it was Uh, legal and illegal, but uh, all the way from the post-Civil War period up until the turn of the 20th century. This was like a way in which... A different way in which the working class as it existed was integrated into the political structure which as you said takes the form of appearance in the united states of getting rid of these powerful unaccountable players bringing choices back to the people allowing primary voters to be the ones who decide you know who's going to be running for president or whatever when in fact as you said it's part and parcel of a move of excluding or at least shifting uh the labor compact capital labor complex such as it existed and was reflected through politics. Right. So the And David it's Jimmy H- Carter and it's fucking right. uh yeah. it, it ends with it or it takes its greatest form with Bill Clinton, but it starts even before Jimmy Carter. It so it's really
1: Hart. it it really uh Gary Hart's contemporary is Jimmy Carter, but let, let's like mm. if we look at this, it really starts with Robert Kennedy and Humphreys and McCarthy and McGovern in 1968. Mm um what we see is Fordism starts to break down in the vietnam war that its protectiveness and the amount of resources it's expending to fight communism is becoming socially unviable mm-hmm. that gives us the baby boomers but it's, th- that's at a point also of massive wealth and when people are freaking out over like three percent
0: unemployment like non right.
1: happens because like europe has like unemployment. What's the last time you've heard of Europe being at 5% unemployment?
0: Uh, 15 (laughs) is more common. I have a great, I found it at a a store some months ago. I have a great time life magazine um, original Mm. from 1967. And it says on the horizon is automation going to lead to a jobs catastrophe in the United States, 1967 already they're talking about, the basically replacement of auto workers uh, by machine technology. Already, people by the late 1960s are are feeling this shift. I was and, reading your Eurocom- and so a politics adequate to that has to arise in order for. People I, to I was reading
1: your comments well, I talking about the end of work in the fucking 70s. All right, <laughs> before digitization. This is the other thing is like a lot of the cultural crisis we have now around like loneliness and isolation. Yeah, it accelerates after the 1990s, and it really accelerates with the marketization of social media, mm-hmm. um, and the advent of the smartphone. Uh, but the trends go all the way back to the late 60s. Mm. So what? So what? My point is, a lot of these interventions that we're always trying to go back to, like I'm like, okay, the the American left, particularly the Keynesian and MMT left, but even a lot of the Marxist left, their image of everything is the fucking 50s. Yeah, it's the 50s w- without racism, and people can be whatever gender they want,
0: right? Right? Um, but there's a and, smokestack in the center of town, and everybody's gathered around it. And you've got like a responsible capitalist at the helm and a personalized and, capitalist at the right. helm who's unsullied and, by by tech or unsullied by finance, but instead is like, uh, what's that? Uh, that Christmas movie, uh, you know, the the, the um. It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful lifestyle. Uh, socialism,
1: right? So when we talk about power as diffuse and vernacular, but operates in its own logic, and we also talk about history in this yeah. way in the structure and periodization, of the world. Yeah. yeah. I want to change the way we talk about neoliberalism
0: mm.
1: because we should talk about early neoliberalism, which is I say seventy six, the end of Fordism. There's an overlap all the way through the nineties, and then the first crisis. Which I do, a lot of people, a lot of like Grossmanites, for example, think this is directly causal because they can't have multivariant stuff in their head, which is funny because Grossman actually sold systems based on multiple variables, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually hit the beginnings of the crisis and that first shows up in Japan and then the US tech market in the end of the 90s and the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. What we see then also is a political crisis of the administrative state as well. So, both gore and bush come from the most establishment end of their parties um the the old smoke-filled room people of the party have figured out how to play the primary game particularly after reforms in the 1980s mm. this co with market problems so we see market problems come up so there's a crisis of legitimacy in both parties uh, and they see real third party threats
0: they mm, come Ross up and, right. Uh, the Green Party as well.
1: Right. And they changed the laws for a third time. So there's lots of people don't realize this, but like most of the American like presidential apparatus that we currently operate under that isn't constitutional. And most of it's not uh, is it actually starts in the mid 60s mm. and is solidified at the end of the 90s. So it's actually relatively modern.
0: And a thing that uh, everybody came to realize between, uh, let's say, 2015 and 2020, when you had a sort of what seemed to be a socialist resurgence, and all of a sudden, all of this behind the scenes, all these structures and all this behind the scenes wheeling and dealing, all these extra constitutional uh, means that uh, the parties have and the ruling class have in order to keep – insurgents at bay all of a sudden becomes very clear it becomes clear in the case of the democratic party with the way that they're able to sink bernie and it becomes clear with the republican party and the way in which trump was able to overcome that spectacular we should
1: we should ask ourselves both the dsa and bernie together but also separately get stuck in having to go into the bernie was an independent for like most of his career oh yeah like why is that the case well these laws have happened to change now let's overlay that again on economics Let's look at this as a multivariable situation where these things are are in a superstructural and base feedback loop that also Mm -hmm. changes the social relations in the base, not just Mm -hmm. the not just the superstructure. The stuff is like a lot of people's understanding of the base and superstructure metaphor is like there's economics in the base, and then I'm like, yeah, but how do you order the economic world? Right. it's actually ordered partly by law which you consider part of the superstructure right that break, yeah. like they, we they talked about this
0: whatever. with uh with andreas malm right we talked mm-hmm. about the ways in which uh the the means of production the ways in which the productive forces were actually shifted by the political and legal structure and vice versa i mean this is uh it's essential stuff go on go on. You're on so fire tonight, mo- by the way. Go on. Yeah. Go off, kid. So, so we, move,
1: <laughs> we move from Fordism and the neoliberalism because of the crisis of possibility, but then also concurrently, we're having a political crisis on top of that. And you move from the old machine politics of the 20th century, which had emerged after the, after the crisis of the Civil War, mm. and had stabilized the parties, into the DNC-RNC primary system that we have now. Which, when it sees a threat after the removal of of the Soviet Union, because we also have to think about this in the world system, right?
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Uh, you, we see a threat come out. You start seeing Ross Perot and these other things that don't fit, and we don't have a parliament sister, We don't have a parliamentary system to to neuter them. I'm, for all my people who think parliamentary systems will fix your problem, there's a reason yeah, why. Yeah. No. Like,
0: that's right. It, Ross, Ross Perot is not going to get 15% of the seats in the House of Uh Right, and make a of, deal
1: with the Republicans or the Democrats. like that's And not ruling coalition
0: with them, yeah. Instead, right. as we know in our system, those, those need to be absorbed into the various parties, and they need to – it takes time for them to incubate through as the progressive movement, the big P progressive movement did in the early 20th century into the Republican right. Party. So too did Ross Perotism really take, what, 25 years or 20-something years – before it kind of instantiates itself finally in uh in donald trump
1: yeah i mean and donald trump is actually ross pro's competitor within his own party in the year 2000 which people forget mm. um the reform party right yeah the reform party there, yeah. there there was two candidates and it's um it was buchanan on one end and ross pro on the other uh and then another faction of the reform party sided with nader so mm. it's kind of a three-way fight within the reform party which of course made it irrelevant the um, so what happens is the states change their laws. There are third parties that are important in certain particular states uh, because they were already important and couldn't be legally written out. But now you have can have infinite parties. I mean, you go on when I open my Utah ballot there's like 16 parties on that thing
0: oh yeah you got working families party in new york city you've got the liberal party the conservative party you can vote for uh we have uh, united utah you can vote for michael bloomberg under both the working families party and the conservative party ticket and maybe even the liberal party ticket too
1: right so there's all kinds of ways in which the multi-party system still exists but it's made irrelevant it's made irrelevant however through deliberate legal changes that make sure that ross perot which which happened twice
0: Mm -hmm will never happen again he can spoil it but he can't have it right he can spoil it for uh george hw bush but he can't take the ring um well why does that people people like bernie who had an insurgent strategy
1: in in, in vermont which in the 80s really worked um even though uh I I like to tell people go read Murray Bookchin's critique of Bernie because he called a lot of shit.
0: It was really Um, good. Yeah, we did an episode. We did uh, an episode. We read his critique of Bernie. It was really really solid. Um, the uh, because they were contemporaries in what Burlington? Yeah, they were in the nineteen seventies.
1: Yeah, Bookchin was a little older, Hmm. so the you have this shift. But what really happens in two thousand one, and I think people miss this we have an economic crisis and we have the 9-11 terror attacks and i do not think one is directly related to the other what my thesis is not this causal thesis where people like oh uh we're having a profitability crisis that means there will be war i'm like no that's not how this works no like this is not planned like that that's actually conspiracy thinking through another guys yeah but but let's talk about what profitability crisis creates they create fragility.
0: Yes, and we see and, that right now as we speak. We're seeing it right now. We've seen he, it for for fifteen years. Right, We've seen it.
1: And and my point is, nine eleven fundamentally changed American law. And we know that, mm-hmm. but we haven't thought about that also as the beginning of a new phase of American politics, which overlaps with the crisis of neoliberalism. Mm. And that is. The perpetual crisis justification and and also the complete alienation of people from social bases in such a way mm. that negative partisanship is all that can be mustered and crisis mm. is the only political justification that we have. And we've been in perpetual yeah. crisis for economic reasons, even at times when we've been economically doing quite well, one party or the other has the reasons to make people notice part of the breakdown in even the recovery and who's not getting it and thus yeah. stoking up realizations partially and aimed at the problems in the larger system. Now that I do think is planned, mm. but the, I don't think for example, the Iraq war was because of a profitability crisis. Mm. It, it, I actually think, however, one of the, the secondary goals of the Iraq war was to stabilize and pump up and inflate the commodities assets markets in regards to oil. It wasn't to steal mm. oil from the ground because we didn't do that.
0: No, we didn't do that. Um, we didn't. We didn't. We were we were, uh, we were our, our task as the United States then as it is now is is primarily even more so than actually capturing land or actually capturing the oil. It's to prop up and secure global markets. Right. Uh, the Iraq War is about um, lubricating and uh, rationalizing the world uh, oil market, and ensuring that that commodity is available universally, not particularly for the United States, but to make sure that the that oil that's in the ground is within the global capitalist economy.
1: None of the major powers, except for some, uh, well, except for some of the powers in Latin America, but I mean even the heads of BRICS actually want the u.s to completely withdraw its imperial pool because none of the major powers have built up the capacity although china was trying to although it's not going to have time now uh this is something that peter zion not a guy i like not a guy whose politics i share not a guy whose diagnosis on china i think is fair so i'm presenting that when people come at me but i think he's right about this <laughs> um we're post-neoliberal i don't think that's techno neo-feudalism or any of that. And, and, and we have seen a stalled realignment if you think about it the entire second half of the 20th century the time of prosperity we think about the entire time was a realignment period mm. michael lind another guy's politics i don't share but people should read beyond just left circles actually points out and i think correctly that with the exception of the black vote um which which in the non-Jim Crow uh, uh which in the non-Jim Crow areas of the states was FDRs after nineteen after his uh second run. But in the South, I also like to point out that like, well, but Jim Crow's coming, we don't know what the black where the black vote was actually going. Yeah, um sure. uh but so when people there are people like, well, you know, the the black population has been Democrat since 1932, and I'm like clear, cool.
0: well, yeah, right? It's unclear it's un- it's unclear what they were yeah.
1: right, because so many of them couldn't vote um right, just like it's unclear, for example, what the politics of like a third of black men are because they still can't vote because they're in the south right um right. and and felon laws, and it's very easy to get a felony for anything like an ounce of marijuana oh, so yeah. so you know they're they're shut out from the vote
0: um so realignment. Back then, in the 1930s, realignment in the 2000s. We're talking about. You talked about it as what an abortive realignment.
1: It was an abortive realignment, There it was a board realignment with the Nixon strategy. But but what did happen between the nineteen between the 1880s? Actually, I'll go back. Uh, Michael Lynn says you can go all the way back to Andrew Jackson for, for between the 1830s all the way to FDR. The Democratic Party's base are people shut out of the bourgeois party. Mm. All right. Um, they are concentrated in the Midwest and the South. They are small farmers that the progressive movement, we talked about the progressive movement kind of splits. Part of it goes into the Democratic Party with William Jenny Bryant, part of it goes in the Republican Party. Uh, with kind of like in the tradition of the radical Republicans, yeah. um, and they end up in the Bull Moose Party later when Theodore right. Roosevelt does his thing, um. But the bourgeoisie is largely aligned with the Republicans, but it's a progressive bourgeoisie compared yeah. to now. Right. The the other part of that alliance is um a class of people are a class this is not a class in the marxist sense of people who are what we might think of as do gooders are like children of the bourgeoisie uh-huh. and the old aristocracy who uh-huh. uh who
0: the Jane atoms of the world
1: exactly yeah. um they they also kind of align with that the but that's that base of planters of the sunbelt industries who feel shut out because of the dominance of of northern industry and of evangelical Protestants who feel shut out by mainland Protestants taking over the civic republicanism that going all the way back to what we're talking about with Michael Sandel mm. um they they all shift all right i lived through this shift and it's like people don't know it i i like they shifted from the rep- from the democrats to the republicans the the weird thing is the left détente with the republican goes back to fdr but it's maintained now but it means that the left is actually aligned with North, with the northeastern rentier bourgeoisie mm. because that part of the bourgeoisie has defected from the republican party as of the as of the the ascendance of the atari democrats mm. now you this is all hard to keep in your head right because we're talking about systems of economic systems of politics and cultural systems right we have i'm not getting into the cultural systems that's much more complicated yeah but if i i promise you if you overlay them on each other you see they they begin and end at roughly the same time Damn. fragility hits that causes some kind of political or geopolitical crisis what is interesting about right now is it is clear And it's been clear since Fareed Zakaria was talking about the multipolar world in the Bush administration Mm. um, that everyone knows that neoliberalism couldn't have one access. With Obama starting the pivot to Asia, which started the the push not to integrate China, but push it out, Mm -hmm. it becomes clear that the U.S. kind of seems – our strategic leaders seem to think – our world dominance is, is going to, will be maintained by withdrawing. So Hadrian, as I've mm-hmm. talked about, the Hadrian's Walling period. Mm-hmm. So we're in perpetual crisis right now. But what, what is interesting about this, in, in raw everybody in Europe until recently always thought that, you know, United States is fucked, but we're fine. Right. And it's, of course the opposite is always yeah. been true.
0: Um, certainly uh, the last few years.
1: Right. But it's become, it's become obvious since like the Greece crisis, but I've like, I've actually just thought about, I will say this. I have thought this since the mid aughts, even before I was a Marxist that like mm. Europe is a much more precarious state than it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as energy independent. It can't grow. It's own food. It's population is old as fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it's, and, and because of the age and a lot of other stuff, it's going to become xenophobic. Um, there's going to be breakdowns in the social welfare system. We've seen that in everywhere, but like the protected Nordic core, and even there, it's kind of happening. There was neoliberalism in the 80s and 90s there, too.
0: And it's um, not it's not politically integrated and fiscally integrated in a way that the United States is. Uh, the United States manages to, like, geographically and spatially defer so many of our problems, not just because we have a money printer up at the very top that's able to redistribute fiscal right. means all over the place, but also so, because we have a le- mass landmass under the same flag.
1: Let's talk about I mean, this is point this is point uh, three and point four in our theory. Mm-hmm. Power is diffused in regular operatives wild right. logic and structures arise and imminently through this logic history through conflicts within it that's what we're talking about right now yeah uh, but let's talk about what the left has fundamentally misunderstood all right because it happens. because
0: if i could if i could jump in here like mm. this is kind of the point i think of this uh principles and heuristic series right is that you and i have been around for a while and we've both been looking around at the 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 quality of the analysis and the various different positions that people are taking on the world, such as it is, and we both find it lacking. So we're sitting here and we're coming together, not just academically, trying to, but also practically also too, trying to like, give you, you folks out there and also for ourselves too, a sense of like, where our energy should be put, not just an analysis, of course, but practical activity as well. Right.
1: Right now I can tell you that my big goal, if for no other reason is to do the following. I am tired of the left being factually wrong about almost everything and covering up with theory. And then with a romantic attachment to fucking losers. Um, yeah. And, um, and the only way to get out of that is to read broadly. I don't think there are good left-wing thinkers now that, you know, we're not unique. The thing is, nobody is trying to synthesize that. And also reading outside of left-wing traditions, yeah, in a way that will tell you a bigger deal of what is going on and won't flatter you. The yeah. first I will tell you just personally, one heuristic I have. If something makes me feel uniquely smart and it makes everybody else look dumb, I should not trust that because if I feel smart and everyone else is stupid, that is likely to be self-motivated as to why i believe it for example all these theories that like unions are unpopular because of propaganda it made them look criminal mm-hmm. that's not true
0: that's not true no
1: um partly because i think we have to deal with the fact that jacobin is finally looking at it that unions are unpopular in areas that are highly unionized even amongst people who have a general positive view of unions yeah and you can't square that with the with the well they convince people unions are bad for them and criminal because i'm like well if that was true why aren't they joining all the unions in like areas that are heavily union i just did
0: a whole ass uh big episode did you check out the Mm -hmm. history as a weapon on unionism i mean the like i got a lot of positive response from that because and i'm not saying that i'm special that matt's special but like people it, it seems like people on the left because we're enamored of things that happened in 1917 or in the 1930s, or hell, we're enamored of like the 1950s and the 60s, uh, communist, uh, in, in the, in, in Europe. Um, we, our analytic abilities to actually look at our situation to understand where we're at and be critical even about the things that we support like unions seems to be really lacking and i don't think that you and you and i or you and me and matt have a monopoly on that sort of thing but this is this sort of thinking i think that we all need to start picking up for very very practical reasons and i think that like if if there's a difference between like good thinking and bad thinking or like good analysis and bad analysis right now i think it really comes from uh, all of this discussion we've been having about periodization and history and the grounding of all of all of our social world and all of our analysis and all of our political aims in true real actual theory uh, i'm sorry history and things that happen and our theory coming out of that it's not enough to go back and you know say some marx quotes from the communist manifesto or whatever the even ourselves you and i the any knowledge that we might produce is produced imminently you know we're members of the society we've been created we've been produced as well through the various different crises and mechanisms and means that we're talking about right now everybody needs to realize that society is being produced like that all the time
1: you yeah know? you're not gonna see through all of it nobody is i mean i, mean, yeah. I, I take that with myself i my gift as an intellect is synthesization i can read things and see how to overlay them on other things that other people don't think about doing.
0: My my, if I have any gift, it's being able to look at um at at other other writings outside of like a a communist orbit and and translate them, especially I I think history translated into terms that I think grounded in class and class struggle because it's a language, it's a method, it's a heuristic, it's like a way in which and and anybody can do this. Any of the people out there listening can grasp this once you understand the movements, once you understand the theory, you don't use that to impose the theory upon society. Learn that to understand society itself. This all sounds very, very vague, but it's like, you know, I, I put in this this uh, this principle here: uh, capital develops historically specific regimes of accumulation, and their periodization is the theorization of communism. I mean, that sounds very theory communist, but all that we're talking about right now is the ways in which capital is developed historically. And, and bringing us to the particular place that we are right now, and our theorization has to be a weapon that's honed from the particular conditions that exist right now and this i think if if people are able to grasp that gives us a much more powerful way of looking at the world than you know the the great texts of the nineteenth century but right. i we we just I just digressed about why it's important that you should be listening to us, but you were you' right. were going off so so
1: actually, to talk about my system's bias, so I take yeah. Marxism. And early historical dialectics as as later established through Dots uh in Lenin, uh Bukharin, even Stalin, yeah. um, Mao, etc. as historical and dialectical materialisms. Um, I deviate from that pretty strongly because I think it has 19th century assumptions about physics, it has oh. uh aristotelian assumptions about teleology snuck in through hegel Mm. um it has a bunch of problems and i don't have a problem with teleology and for those who don't know that word that's what we do as the purpose of bringing about what we think is good Mm -hmm. uh the problem with aristotelian even hegelian teleology is they think the good is inherent Mm. that it, it, it is not something we decide we are that thing. The Aristotelian good is reason. The the Hegelian good is bringing about the kingdom of God. Hmm. Um, and 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 bringing about the kingdom of God is manifest in the absolute freedom to do so, which is why the focus on freedom is so important in the Hegelian hmm. tradition. Um, all that said. I also pull from theories that were developed by people influenced by that stuff, but are separated from it through time. I pull from cybernetic theory, Mm -hmm. particularly from viable systems theories in cybernetics. I pull from complexity theory, which sounds related, but it's different. Uh, So we look at energy flows, social systems modeled like energy flows. Uh, If you think of economics as the flow of the actual energy in which we use to maintain our social production schemes, it makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I also use world systems model, but unlike just the world systems people, I re-overlay Marxism, cybernetics theory, and all this. The problem that I think we have right now, and this is actually an issue of complexity, is we have a lot of great thinkers who are not generalist and they outsource everything outside of their specialization for fear of being wrong Hmm. or imprecise. Um, to other fields, but that actually means as these fields solidified, and we're in a general state of capitalist decadence anyway. And so much so that even our technology is now just reifying the past, like our machine learning only can tell us stuff we already know, right? That's literally what all it can, it can do.
0: just synth it can scrape and synthesize everything from that people have written already and put it back to you in a form that's like somewhat plausible,
1: right? And and it's boring because you yeah. know, but yeah, it it it's that. That's where we are right now, right? Um, our education system outside of the military doesn't really innovate anymore because it doesn't have synthesis thinkers, that, uh, which is why – and I'm going to piss people off with this. Everyone talks about how, oh, it's like investment into, into the academia and the primary science research. Yeah, that's fair. But most of it comes from DARPA in the united states mostly it comes from the military because right. the military still invests in generalists um and we have to organically do that with these structures so that we can develop strategies so i'm going to talk about this in a cybernetic term for a second the the each system has sort of the orientation our ethos our principles that guide a system We talk about this, like, communist theory is nothing without communist practice. Mm -hmm. Right? But communist theory must have a communist principle. It has to have goals. Mm -hmm. Like, beyond just empowering the proletariat, I'm sorry, that's not good enough. This is where I am sympathetic to uh, to communization theory, even though I still think probably the working class is going to be key to all of this. Mm -hmm. Um, Is because... And class independence is really important for this, but um, it's because uh, we have to have the goal of a classless society of hierarchies being temporal and purely based on expertise and expertise not being carteled. So anyone Mm who can do it can get it. That's got to be our operating principle as communists that's got to be the way we both interact with each other and what we advocate for in society if we just say we got to empire the proletariat but we don't tell the proletariat what it like we don't have a direction for the proletariat to go it's going to continue replicating itself in capital just under hopefully better terms maybe even at the expense of the entire system yeah and so that's
0: and this is and this is where like organization comes in, right? And this is organization where...
1: comes in in the second part. Yeah. So, so then we get down to strategy and horizontal organization. I mean, uh, vertical organization. So we can think through it, create strategy to do things. Then next down is tactics, coordination, and praxis. That's the bottom but all these things don't think about them as like a high as like a pyramid think about them as an equal flow chart any part of this breaks down it does not work mm. so this is why people who come after me when when you have the a- people we call actionists who don't want to deal with theory at all mm-hmm. and then people who who we all kind of hate who are totally theory heads and like Hang out in Hotel Grand Abyss or Hotel Psychoanalysis or whatever, (laughs) Um, Hotel MMT. Actually, even Um, uh, they; these are all people who are stuck only at one element of the system. You don't have a system, and you can't go here without that, right? So that's why we care about this analysis. So we have our goal. Our goal is a classless society where hierarchies are as minimal as possible. Skills and expertise are are encouraged to anyone who can do them we don't pretend that everyone has the same skills and expertise we realize there's going to be human difference mm-hmm. but that if you have it you can get it
0: yeah and because ultimately it's about freeing people from the very real constraints imposed upon us by what uh appears to be it isn't quite but appears to be an alien force outside of us which is markets or the economy which or capital whatever you want to call it uh that imposes like very very strict unfreedoms upon us like all of these are different ways in which like there's a nucleus and a core uh, that could be created that could actually be mm. overcoming this particular alienation that exists. And we this will, is, yeah, go ahead.
1: We will never be without constraints. We will never be without some unfreedoms. I, I, I want, I, I want a people to like know that I'm not like. I don't think even communism is a totally free. No,
0: but the very historically specific constraints on Bingo. on not just um not just our individual activity, but also our political ability uh together as as humanity uh in order to guide our own future in order to consciously plan our own future what would not just what we produce but how we associate and um you know who whether or not we're going to blow each other up in a nuclear armageddon or not nobody's really planning that right now
1: we have an over complex society that is geared towards one primary thing which is production of abstract abstract value through capital but it's so complex that even the ways that we understood it doing it up to say the 1930s is beyond us yeah no this is why basic categories are hard right now and i want people to hear this if you're confused about who's the working class this. it's because our comp the complications of our society and the internal stratifications required to keep it going totally obscure all that now yeah like it's not clear in the way it was when we were there was shop owners, there was managers, and there was fucking owners. We're yeah. not quite sure about the managers. They're probably not paroles. The fucking owners we know are not. Now it's like we don't even know who the owners are. It's some abstraction called a corporation. Yeah,
0: yeah. Or uh, it's some institution. It's the it's the Australian Teachers Pension Fund. Right. As it yeah. turns out, is your is the ultra, is the end boss right. <laughs> that you it's have just, to confront.
1: It's just like, and uh no one but, can manage it because the fucking central bank is like making u.s financial decisions based off of crises in fucking malaysia of which it has no political control and which malaysia cannot cannot interact or act upon the u.s central bank uh yeah i mean all and this the sense- central
0: bank it has like it has some uh tools in its tool belt but even those are very very circumscribed not just by um, by political power of course but also by what 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 one nation what one group of people even at the height of financial and economic power can do in one particular nation albeit at the center of this global apparatus like even even then the idea that they you know could heroically as we saw uh did you read um ministry of the future by kim mm-hmm. stanley robinson so yep. a lot of that i thought it was a very very interesting book as he as he thought practically about what it would take to confront climate change but one of the things that has to be done in that particular scenario is that the central bank needs to become more than what it actually is it's got the remit in order to like uh manage the economy it has to do that in a way it has to be forced to do that compelled to do that through violence in order to become something that it isn't i mean this is a you know, even the people at the, at the apex of power in, in our human civilization don't actually have the powers necessary to do more than, like, pull a couple levers somewhere and hope that it ends up, you know, being better.
1: Well, this is the funny thing about right now, and this is predictable if you understand. Now, now I'm going to talk complexity theory for a minute. Conspiracy thinking is natural both and Bonaparte thinking both are natural and an overcomplex system. Bonaparte thinking off as a false promise on relying on a singular figure who might pull things from the past, the great nation, uh, the, the Aryan people, make the, America great again, make America great again, or even FDR is a Bonapartist figure, frankly, as Michael Lynn, interestingly enough, uh, again, not a friend of the left. I'm not, I'm not an idiot, but he actually pointed out something we should have pointed out. Uh, That the difference between Andrew Jackson and FDR is that there was a mass organization and what he doesn't mention and a mass organization that also had a a scary other state in the Soviet Union compelling FDR to actually be responsible, whereas under Andrew Jackson or other prior figures that had the same coalition and some of the same tendencies from the same class, they just became grifters. They partialed out spoils to their uh to their cronies which is by the way a lot of what trump has done but also mm-hmm. frankly a lot of what i know i'm gonna get mad for, people get
0: mad for saying this, i know where what going.
1: biden is doing yes, too
0: yes 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 um... hey folks sean kb here uh just a reminder that our show relies on your support So if you enjoy what we do and you want to hear more excellent bonus content, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash theantifada. It's cheap, there's a ton of content, and it would mean everything to us. So thank you, and we'll see you behind the paywall.